Welcome to another thrilling episode on Book TV. But before we dive in, let's talk about enhancing your reading experience with novel nutrition. As you lose yourself in today's story, imagine supporting your journey with our unique supplements, specially crafted for readers like you. Whether it's boosting focus with Epic, unwinding with Read, or energizing with Zip Strips, Novel Nutrition is here to complement each chapter of your literary adventure. Visit novelnutrition.co or click the link in the show notes, and don't forget to use code BOOKTV for an exclusive 20% discount. Now, let's immerse ourselves in the magic of today's story. End of Watch Heroes of the Apocalypse Book 2 Written by Bailey Higgins Audiobook produced by Book TV Prologue 1. Frank Day 1 of the Apocalypse Burlington Precinct, 2.25 p.m. Officer Frank Hearn stared at the pile of paperwork on his desk with growing pessimism. His watch told him his shift was only half over, and he still had several hours to go. A throbbing headache had taken up residence inside his skull, and the arthritis in his left elbow was acting up. Flexing the joint, he slumped back in his seat and ran both hands through his hair. I'm getting too old for this shit. You? Old? Not a chance in hell, Sarge, a cheerful voice quipped from the doorway. Frank looked up and forced a half-smile. What can I do for you, Sarah? It's not what you can do for me, Sarge, but what I can do for you, Sarah said, producing a cup of coffee with a flourish. She plopped the polystyrene cup down before him, spilling hot liquid all over his notes. Black, no sugar, just the way you like it. Sarah, that wasn't Nessie's, Frank began reaching for a pile of crumpled paper napkins. He mopped up the mess, smearing ink all over the place. But that's not all. I also got your favorite, she said, not giving him a chance to speak. Reaching into her jacket pocket, she pulled out a brown paper bag and handed it to him with a grin. Two jam donuts, sprinkled with sugar and fresh from the corner shop. Frank eyed the squashed packet but didn't open it. It looked like someone had driven over it with their car. That was very nice of you, Sarah. Now what do you want? Sarah shrugged. Nothing. Nothing, Frank said with more than a hint of disbelief. I find that very hard to believe. After twenty-odd years on the beat, he'd learned that nothing was for free. Not even from the eternally optimistic and annoyingly bright officer Sarah Campbell. On probation, she carried an air of innocence that bordered on naivety. It couldn't last. Not in the career field she'd chosen, but he wasn't about to tell her that. Reality would set in soon enough without him hurrying it along. Come on, Sarah, spit it out, he said, reaching for the coffee. He eyed the cup with a dubious look, wondering if it tasted as bad as it looked. Go ahead, Sarge. It's the good stuff. Sarah said, egging him on. Thanks, he grumbled, taking a tiny sip. To his surprise, the brew was hot and fresh. See, I'm not a total spaz. I get things right on occasion, Sarah said, bouncing from one foot to the other. Don't sell yourself short, Sarah. You're excellent at stirring up trouble. Am I? And you still haven't told me what you want. 
Well, there is one little thing, Sarah hedged. I knew it, Frank said. Can I have the day off tomorrow? Sarah asked. I know it's short notice, but my sister's getting married, and she's having a meltdown because her dress doesn't fit, and I promised her I'd help her find a new one, and the only time she can get off... All right, that's enough, Frank said, holding up one hand to stop the deluge of words. Not another peep. Sarah swallowed her next sentence with an audible gasp and shut her lips. Her cheeks grew red until it looked like she'd explode, and Frank suppressed an eye roll. Lord, have mercy on me. I can't. I just can't. Yes, you can have the day off, but you'd better not make a habit of it, or you're out the door. Got it? Thank you, thank you, thank you, Sarah cried. You won't regret this, I promise. I already am, Frank said, waving her away. She skipped toward the door. You're the best, Sarge. Whatever, Frank mumbled, taking another sip of coffee. The stuff was good, no doubt about it, but the donuts were a total loss. He dumped the packet into the rubbish bin and reached for a stack of papers. Might as well get this done. For the next hour, he lost himself in the joys of administrative work. A pile of police reports waited for his attention and a list of recent incidents. He perused the list looking for trends while the radio operated in the background. Frank paid it no heed. He only used it to keep track of the officers on shift, but it had been a quiet shift with only the usual petty crimes in progress. That changed when a sudden rash of assaults, looting, and homicides came through on the air. 421. There is a disturbance on the corner of Park Avenue and Melville Street. Please respond. Dispatch. This is 421. We are en route. 436. There are reports of looting in the city center near Town Hall. Dispatch. This is 436. We're on our way. 459. An assault has been reported at 78 Tanner Street. Please respond. Dispatch. This is 459. ETA, three minutes. 475. There was a call about a homicide at a local residence. Static. 475, please respond. Static. 475, this is dispatch. Please respond. Still nothing. Frank stared at the radio, perturbed. Patrol car 471 was operated by Officer Leo Torres and his partner Randall Sykes, and it was unlike either of them not to respond. 475. The dispatcher's voice rose in pitch. Please respond. Dispatch. This is 475, came the response at last. Officer down. I repeat, officer down. Frank froze in his chair. The voice belonged to Leo Torres and he listened with care as the situation unfolded. What is your location, 475? Dispatch asked. 178 Central Street, Torres said. All units in the vicinity, please respond, Dispatch said. 421, we are en route to assist, a different car replied. Hurry, all hell just broke loose out here. People are killing people, biting them. Shit, they're eating each other. Randall, wait for... Static. 475, what is your situation? The dispatcher asked. More static. Frank frowned. What did he mean they were eating each other? That's impossible. Either way, he needed to find out what was going on. 
These were his officers, his shift, and his responsibility. He'd be damned if he let anything happen to them. Grabbing his keys, phone, and wallet, he stood up, but a shrill scream sent ice running through his veins. To his surprise, the sound didn't stop or lessen in volume. Instead, it grew louder in pitch until he thought his eardrums would burst. The muffled pops of gunshots followed soon after, and his heart skipped a beat. Something strange was going on, something dangerous. Not wasting more time, he ran to the door and yanked it open. After the relative peace of his office, the sheer noise assaulted his senses like a battering ram. The hallway was crowded with fellow police officers flooding the narrow passage. They were all headed in the same direction, the front desk and reception. Only a few seconds had passed, but the screams grew in number, punctuated by gunfire and the sound of breaking glass. It sounded like a war zone, and Frank ran through all the possible scenarios in his head. A bomb, terrorists, random shooters, or a terrible accident. Suddenly, a tremendous crash shook the building and several people fell to their knees. Shock was written on every face, quickly followed by panic. A car horn blared, the noise bouncing off the walls until it melded with the chaos and formed a symphony of terror. Darting into the passage, Frank elbowed his way through the crowd. Out of the way. Move it, please. Two secretaries huddled inside the doorway of an office, and he waved them back. Kate, Donna, get inside and lock that door. Yes, Sergeant, Kate replied, slamming the door shut. Frank continued his dash to the front of the station and reached the reception within seconds. There he paused to get his bearings, shocked by the sight that met his eyes. An officer was down on the ground, wrestling with two men. They were civilians by the looks of it, but there was nothing civilized about their behavior. Growling, they snapped at the fallen officer's face with their bare teeth. Another policeman was backed into a corner, his eyes wide. His gun clicked on empty as a trio of similarly crazed-looking people closed around him. The nearest pounced on him and tore into his cheek, peeling away a hunk of flesh. Blood fountained from the wound and sprayed across attacker and victim, bathing them in the crimson fluid. Help me, the officer screamed, his voice raw with agony. Hold on, Frank yelled. He yanked his gun free from its holster and ran toward the struggling duo. A stray elbow hit him in the stomach, and he almost went down. Struggling to keep his balance, he cried, Hold on! Too late. The infected sank its teeth into the officer's throat, blood pumped from the wound, spurting from the severed artery. Frank locked eyes with his colleague, and he saw the moment it was over, the moment when the man's eyes glazed over in death. No! Frank cried, even though he knew it was too late. With desperate hope, he kept going, even though it was an impossible task. The press of bodies grew worse, and he got hit from all sides. A crazed woman spotted him and pounced with a vicious growl. Her nails raked across his cheek and he reacted without thinking. His fist connected with her jaw and she crashed into a knot of fellow crazies. They went down in a tangle of limbs and a space opened in the crowd. Frank looked for the officer he was trying to save, but the man was gone, lost. Whirling around, he sought some form of absolution, someone to help, to save. Instead, all he saw was death and destruction. A woman with crushed legs slithered toward him like a serpent, 
leaving a trail of blood and slime on the floor. Her bloodshot eyes fixed on him and her lips peeled back from her teeth in a predatory grin. Dragging herself toward him with her arms, she moved surprisingly fast. Frank pointed his gun at her face, eyes narrowed. Stop or I'll shoot. The woman ignored him and kept coming. Stop, this is your last warning, he repeated. No reaction, not a flicker of intelligence showed in her dead gaze. There was nothing left of the person she used to be, nothing but a soulless husk driven by the need to feed. Please, stop, Frank said, taking a step back. He didn't want to shoot her, hurt her, kill her. It went against everything he stood for in life, everything he believed in. There's a secret once hidden, a treasure the ancients used daily. It's turmeric, the golden spice of life. In the heart of ancient India, this revered root was more than a culinary delight. It was a symbol of purity, a source of wellness. Novel Nutrition brings this secret to you with our fire supplement. Each fire gummy is a nod to those ancient traditions, harnessing the natural powerful anti-inflammatory and antioxidant benefits that have supported health and vitality for centuries. Nab your supply of Novel Nutrition's fire by clicking the link in the description and using code BOOKTV for a 20% discount. Read more. Live more. Be more. The woman lunged forward and latched onto his leg. Her fingers dug into the calf muscle, and she went in for the kill. Gnashing teeth closed on his shin, but he jerked away in time. Instead of meat, she got a mouthful of pant material. Let go of me, Frank yelled, shaking his leg. Refusing to budge, the woman hung on like a leech. Desperate, Frank pointed his gun at her head. I said let go, damn it. He fired off a shot next to her ear hoping it would scare her away. Instead, she ignored him and kept coming. Frank gaped at her, unable to believe what was happening. His ears rang with the blast, and he couldn't hear anything. He'd pulled the trigger right next to her temple, close enough to burst an eardrum, but she kept coming. Unstoppable. Invincible. Impossible. Suddenly, the woman's head exploded into a thousand fragments, and she slumped to the ground. Her hands grew slack, and he pulled free from her grip. All life faded from her gaze until she was an empty shell, a monster no more. Frank backed away from the corpse with an air of bewilderment. Time lost all meaning, and everything around him turned into a blur. Caught in a haze, he stood there staring like an idiot. What the hell is happening? This is crazy, just crazy. Suddenly, Officer Sarah Campbell grabbed him by the elbow, the same one that was riddled with arthritis. Pain seared through his nerve endings, acting as a shock to the system. It cleared the fog from his brain, and he shook himself awake. Are you okay? He asked, turning to Sarah. I'm fine, Sarge, she replied. Her eyes were wide and her cheeks flushed, but she appeared unharmed and remarkably calm considering the situation. Pointing at the dead woman, she said, You have to shoot them in the head. It's the only way to stop them. What? They're zombies, Sarge. You have to destroy the brain, she said. That's ridiculous, he scoffed. Look around you, Sarge. It's the apocalypse, Sarah insisted. 
Frank shook his head, but his keen eyes quickly took in the situation. A car had smashed through the front window, and shattered glass covered the floor. The horn blared nonstop, caused by the figure slumped over the wheel. It acted as a siren to all the infected in the area, and they swarmed the building. The passenger door stood wide open, and a trail of gore led to the woman by his feet. She'd either died in the crash or caused it, probably the latter. People milled about in fear and confusion, a mixture of police officers, admin staff, and civilians. Many appeared to be driven mad by an unknown agent. Was it a type of nerve gas or a bioweapon? A virus or a bacterial infection? Something cooked up in a lab by scientists who like to play God? Or was it natural? A weapon deployed from the bosom of Mother Nature herself? The biggest killer of them all? Whatever it was, it drove people insane and turned them into ruthless cannibals. They stalked the station, hunting their prey. They pounced without mercy when they found it, unfazed by blows or shots. The screams of their victims cut through the noise like a razor blade, and blood coated the walls. The station had become a slaughterhouse. A couple of infected sprinted toward them, one wearing a torn business suit and the other a uniform. Frank raised his gun but froze when he recognized the officer. His blood ran cold and he fought against the nightmare vision that raced toward him. No, not him, not Steve. Steve, please, Frank pleaded. But Steve was gone. Frank's finger tightened on the trigger, but he couldn't bring himself to shoot. Instead, his brain flashed back to a recent memory. A night spent watching football in the home of his friend and fellow sergeant, Steve Kingsley. His wife, Lydia, cheered with them, tossing popcorn all over the couch each time her team scored a try. Their kids, two boys, played in the background. An ordinary family on an ordinary day. Not anymore. Steve, please. I'm begging you. Stop. Frank tried again, unwilling to believe the undeniable truth. Please. Steve never slowed, faltered, or wavered from his relentless objective, to kill, maim, and feed. Shoot them, Sarah cried, appearing at his side. They're not human anymore. I can't, Frank said, shaking his head. That's Steve, Steve. Not anymore, Sarah said, snapping off a couple of shots. Both bullets missed. Damn it! She aimed again, her expression determined. He's not your friend anymore, Sarge. He's dead. Her third bullet hit Steve's chest, and blood exploded from his shattered sternum. A fourth bullet punched into his shoulder, and a fifth cut a groove in his scalp. Broken and bloody, he snarled but kept coming. That's impossible, Frank said, horrified. He should be dead. I told you, Sarge, he's not human anymore. He's a zombie, Sarah yelled. There's no such thing. Yes, there is. Sarah's sixth shot found its mark, and Steve crashed to the ground. He took the infected man in the suit down with him, their bodies entangled in a mess of limbs. Frank backed away, shaking his head. Steve's dead. A zombie. I can't believe it. But the evidence lay before him, and he knew he needed to snap out of his funk. For Sarah's sake, if not his own. What now, Sarge? Sarah asked as more undead headed their way. They needed to do something fast or be next on the menu. Follow me. Frank cried, running toward the front desk. He vaulted over the top and crashed to the floor on the other side. 
Sarah landed next to him in a shower of debris. Paper clips, pens, notebooks, staplers, files, and a couple of phones rained down upon them. The area behind the desk was empty, the wooden counter attached to the wall. It provided a barrier between them and the infected, and they were safe for the moment. Sheltered. Taking stock, Frank returned to old habits. Officer Campbell, report. Yes, sir, Sarah said with a brisk nod. After leaving your office, I went on patrol with Officer Hines and... And? Frank prompted. It's the same everywhere, sir. What do you mean the same? He said, stunned. It's like this everywhere, she said. One minute, everything was fine. And then we started getting reports about shootings, beatings, break-ins, accidents, and murders. We tried to contain the situation, sir. But the more we tried, the worse it got. It was like, like, her hands flapped in the air as she sought the perfect analogy. Frank nodded, his expression grim, like a wildfire burning out of control. Exactly. Where's Officer Hines? He, Sarah bit her lip. He's dead. Infected? Not anymore, I took care of it. You killed him? I had no choice, Sarge. He was going to kill me. Frank nodded, thinking of Steve. At least she had the guts to do it. You didn't. Are they really dead, though? Zombies? I saw a man running around with his guts hanging down to his knees, Sarge. I saw, I saw a woman kill her son. She tore right through his jugular without blinking an eye. Sarah shuddered, and a single tear ran down her cheek. She ate her own child, and if that's not proof enough of zombies, I don't know what is. Frank swallowed, sickened to the core of his being. I can't believe this is happening. Well, Sarge, it's happening whether we like it or not, Sarah said. When did you become so tough? Frank asked, eyeing her with surprise. I've always been like this, Sarge, she said, flashing him a grin. You just didn't see it before. I've been a fool, Frank said. You said it, not me, Sarah said, checking her magazine. I only have three bullets left, not enough to get us very far. We're not going anywhere, Frank said. But we have to get out of here, Sarah protested. No, we have to clear the station and save as many people as possible, Frank said. We can't. The place is overrun, Sarge. There's too many of them and only two of us. Sarah peeked over the edge of the desk. As it is, I don't know if we'll make it out. Frank looked over the counter, dismayed to find she was right. The front entrance was open, and infected poured into the building. They jammed the opening in their haste to get inside, snapping at each other with angry snarls. Even more crawled through the smashed window, not caring when they cut themselves to ribbons on the jagged pieces of glass. Bodies littered the floor, dead. Others stirred with the first signs of reanimation. They spasmed, flopping around in the same pools of blood that brought about their end. Survivors, desperate to get away from the surge of undead, stampeded in the opposite direction. They headed deeper into the building, flooding its hallways and offices by the dozen. The infected followed, drawn by their screams of fear and horror. They're making a mistake. They'll be trapped inside with nowhere to go. They can get onto the roof, Sarah said. 
Then what? They'll be stuck, Frank said. There's the fire escape and the back exit through the kitchens, Sarah said. Yes, but how many of them will make it without our help? Frank asked, wincing at the screams of the dead and dying. It's not up to us, Sarge. We can't help them. We can't stop this, Sarah said. These are our people, our friends, our colleagues, Frank said, staring at the fleeing backs of the people he'd known for years, all doomed. I know that, Sarge, but what about the people outside? My family? Steve's family? Sarah said. The whole city is under siege, and we're of no use to anyone if we're dead or infected, too. This is an infection, then. Did you hear something? Frank asked, eager for information. I heard a bit on the radio. It's a virus, and it's transmitted through saliva. Saliva? Bites, Sarah explained. If you're bitten, you turn into one of them. Scratches? He said, pointing at the deep cuts left on his face by the woman who'd attacked him. Not that I know of, Sarah said. Frank slumped against the desk. That's comforting. Besides, you'd know soon enough if you were sick. What do you mean? It works fast, even faster if you die during the attack, Sarah said. Officer Hines, I thought he was dead and he was. But it only took a few minutes before he wasn't dead anymore. I'm sorry. That's why we have to get out of here before it's too late, Sarah added in a fierce whisper. My family needs me. I know, Frank said with grim finality. As much as he wanted to save everyone, it wasn't possible. Live to fight another day. What's the plan? Sarah said with a sigh of relief. Frank pointed at the crashed car. If we can get inside that vehicle, we can drive out of this nightmare. You reckon? Sarah said, her voice thick with doubt. It looks intact. No smoke from the hood, no water or oil on the floor. The driver just smashed through the window. The tires are flat, slashed by the glass, Sarah said. Well, we don't have to get far, Frank said. Just away from here. True, Sarah conceded with a shrug. I'll get rid of the driver. You jump into the passenger side and close the door, Frank said. Got it. I do, but... Sarah flashed him a look. But what? There are so many of them. We'll never make it. We don't have a choice, Frank said. Just let me think about it for a second, Sarah pleaded, her eyes squeezed shut. We don't have time for that. The infected will spot us any moment now, Frank said with a shake of his head. Wait, maybe this will help, Sarah said, holding up a stack of notebooks and a roll of tape. Help with what? You'll see, Sarah said, wrapping a notebook around his forearm and taping it in place. Once finished, she repeated the procedure on the other side and followed up with his shins. There you go. Protective gear. Frank flexed his limbs, impressed. Good idea. I'm next, she said, waving her arms in front of his face. Come on, he said with a grunt. Afterward, Frank looked at Sarah. Are you ready for this? No, are you? She asked, her gun gripped in both hands. Not even a bit, Frank admitted. On three? Sarah asked. On three, Frank said with a brisk nod. One, two, three, go. Prologue. Two. Sarah, 
Day 1 of the Apocalypse, Burlington Precinct, 2.42 p.m. Sarah readied for action, poised to launch herself into the seething crowd of people that thronged the station. A boiling cauldron of predator and prey, it was impossible to tell who was friend and who was foe. Her heart thudded in her chest, and her mouth felt as dry as the desert sands. Every fiber of her being screamed at her not to do it, not to throw herself into the jaws of death, but she knew there was no choice. The longer she waited, the harder it would be. I have to escape now, while I still can. Are you ready? Frank asked in a low whisper. No, are you? She asked, her palms sweaty around the stock of her gun. Not even a bit, Frank admitted. On three? Sarah asked. On three, Frank said with a brisk nod. One, two, three, go. Sarah vaulted over the front desk in a move that would have made her old drill instructor proud. She slid across the smooth surface feet first, and her boots hit an infected woman square in the chest. The woman went flying and took down three more infected. They rolled across the floor in a tangled mess, too stupid to free themselves from each other. Sarah used their predicament to her advantage and darted through the opening. Frank followed close behind, snapping off shots to help clear a path. He had more bullets than she did, plus he was the better marksman. Not bothering with headshots, he aimed for the infected's hips and knees. It didn't kill them, but slowed them down and kept them off balance. With her arms raised in front of her face, Sarah bulldozed through the rest of the crowd. Her legs churned, propelling her forward despite her small stature. Sweat poured down her face and salt stung her eyes. Her vision narrowed until all she saw was the path ahead. The zombies ceased to be humans, or even monsters. They were obstacles, hurdles placed on the way to freedom, her freedom. She dropped her shoulder and rammed into a man blocking her path. He spun to the side, rocking on unsteady feet. For a brief moment, their eyes met, and she recognized the bright blue gaze of Officer Richards, a fellow beat cop and friend. Only a year older than her, he'd been one of the first to welcome her to the fold, and they'd shared many long hours and stale donuts. But he was no longer her friend. A flap of flesh hung from one cheek, exposing the teeth and jaw underneath. Wet tissue and tendons glistened in the light cast by the fluorescent bulbs overhead, and clotted blood dripped from the grisly wound. Richards growled at her despite his injuries, his mouth snapping open and shut in a desperate bid for flesh. Sarah tore her gaze away from the awful sight and pushed ahead, determined to reach the crashed car. They were almost there, and she angled toward a section of the room that was less crowded than the rest. As they drew closer, hope rose within her chest. Maybe they stood a chance after all, but the nightmare was far from over. A woman with her hands cuffed behind her back ran toward them with a lopsided gait. One foot was bare, and the other was encased in a sky-high stiletto. Her dress was drenched with crimson, and the torn front revealed several bite marks across her torso. Arrested earlier that day for a DUI, she'd never made it through processing and fell prey to the wave of undead inside the precinct. Acting on instinct, Sarah lashed out at the foot wearing the single shoe. She hooked her boot behind the woman's ankle and pulled, and the infected woman toppled to the floor with an angry shriek. 
She writhed on the ground, unable to get up with her hands tied behind her back. Sarah darted past the woman and sprinted toward the crashed car. She hoped Frank was right, and it was their ticket out. If not, she was prepared for plan B. Climb out the broken window and make a run for it. Come on, Sarge. We're almost there. Right behind you, came the grim reply. Frank's presence steadied her, and Sarah closed the distance with single-minded determination. She was glad he had her back, just like he did at the beginning and end of every shift. A man of few words and uncompromising morals, he was a steadfast presence in an ever-changing world. While she never knew what the job might bring, Frank always knew what to say. Even when that meant talking her down from a nervous high, or steering her in the right direction when the lines between right and wrong blurred. To her, he was both a mentor and a friend. The one person she knew she could turn to when things went wrong, like the zombie apocalypse. A snort escaped from her nostrils. Who'd have thought the world's end would come about because of zombies? If anyone had asked, she'd have bet on nuclear war punching humanity's ticket. Or a meteor. Definitely not zombies. Sarah, watch out, Frank cried. Sarah jerked back to the present in time to duck beneath the beefy arms of a gigantic zombie. The size of a brick shithouse, the man wore several gold chains over a white vest and baggy jeans. Tattoos covered his arms, chest, and neck, competing for space with a thick carpet of coarse body hair. More gold glinted between his teeth, teeth stained crimson with the blood of his victims. Dropping to her knees, Sarah slid across the floor while his arms swept past overhead. Grasping fingers the size of sausages clutched at the air where she'd been mere moments before, and a frustrated rumble erupted from the giant's chest. Sarah eyed the undead behemoth with revulsion. A cold shudder worked down her spine at the thought of him getting hold of her. He'd crush her like a bug and drink the juices through a straw. Not today, big boy. He made another grab for her, and she rolled to the side in the nick of time. One hand brushed past her cheek, and a couple of hairs hooked onto his numerous rings. The strands yanked free from her scalp, and she yelped with surprise. Ouch! That hurt. Several other infected closed in, drawn by her plight, and Sarah found herself surrounded, Hemmed in on every side, she scurried around in an ever-tightening circle to evade the grasping hands that reached for her. Uh, Frank, a little help, please. Stay down, came the harsh reply. I'm clearing the field. Quick to obey, she rolled into a ball and covered her head. Bullets whizzed past overhead, punching into the zombies' skulls with lethal force. Bodies toppled to the ground and she found herself gazing into the empty eyes of a woman close to her age. A single bullet hole decorated her forehead, the only signs of damage. Even worse, she looked a little like Sarah with her dark hair, green eyes, and tanned skin. It was a surreal experience where Sarah was confronted with her mortality. Not even on the worst day of the job had she felt that close to the edge. Filled with an overwhelming urge to run away, Sarah jumped to her feet before Frank gave the all clear. A cold hand clamped down on her throat as she came face to face with her nemesis. The giant zombie grimaced at her with bloody teeth, still standing despite the numerous bullet wounds that decorated its chest and the groove that cut through its scalp.
Despite his best efforts, Frank had failed to put the monster down. Sarah's eyes bulged in their sockets as the hand around her neck tightened like a vice. She clutched at the undead fingers, squeezing the life from her, but they might as well have been made from steel. Frank! Hold on, I'm out of ammo, Frank yelled. Sarah gasped for air. Take my gun! Out of the corner of her eye, she saw Frank jump toward her, but a couple of infected got to him first. Set upon from two directions, he fought to break free from his attackers without getting bitten. I'm, I'm coming, Sarah, he said, but she knew she was on her own, for the moment at least. Then her feet left the ground as the zombie dragged her toward its mouth. She twisted and turned, trying to break free from its grip, but it was no use. The creature was too strong. Closer and closer it drew her to its gaping maw. She pulled up her legs in a last-ditch effort and planted both feet on its chest. With every ounce of strength she possessed, she pushed back. The veins in her temples swelled until she thought her head would burst and her lungs screamed for oxygen. Her brain grasped for a solution it couldn't find, and nothing seemed to work right. She couldn't think or reason. The only thing that mattered was air. As her vision dimmed, her mind focused on a single pinpoint in the universe, the zombie's mocking grin. It made a laughing stock of her and her efforts to survive. Even more, it showed her up for the weakling she truly was, a silly little girl who couldn't protect herself even if she tried. How stupid she must have seemed on her first day at the academy. A waste of time and training, a waste of space. Give up. Stop fighting. It's pointless. The voice was seductive, and she was drawn to its soothing cadence. What was the point, after all? She was never going to be a real cop, let alone a detective. And now she was dying, dead already. Give up. Give in. Sarah's body relaxed as she gave in to the call of the void. Darkness beckoned, and she welcomed its touch. Inside its embrace, there was no pain, no suffering no cruelty. Suddenly a hand grabbed her arm. The touch was warm and human, unlike the zombie's death grip. It gave her hope, and she pushed back the voice that wanted to turn her into a coward. I will not give in. I will not give up. I am not a waste of space. Sarah kicked out with all of her strength, straining to break the hold on her throat. She bared her teeth and growled at the undead monster, refusing to back down. Its fingers loosened, and she sucked in a precious breath of air. Life-giving oxygen rushed through her veins, granting sweet relief. Suddenly, a terrific blast shivered through the air. The zombie reared back, its expression slack. Half its skull was blown away, and only a single glaring eye remained. The corpse swayed for a brief moment before it collapsed. Dead at last. Freed from its hold, Sarah staggered backward when her knees buckled like those of a newborn foal. Her head spun, and the world tilted on its axis. She'd used up all of her reserves and had nothing left to give. Frank, I'm here. Don't worry, Frank replied, his face swimming in and out of focus. I can't. I can't. Sarah swallowed fighting to stay upright. Don't worry, I've got her, a different voice said. You clear the way. My car's waiting through there. Got it, Frank replied. Take the shotgun, the other voice added. Thanks, Frank said, 
Now let's get out of here. Right behind you. A pair of strong arms caught Sarah and swung her up into the air. She tensed, but the voice whispered, Don't worry, I've got you. You're safe with me. Sarah relaxed. She knew that voice, and she knew it could be trusted. Once again, the darkness called, and this time she answered. Quick pause in our story to remind you about novel nutrition. Enhance your reading sessions with our bespoke supplements. See if you can figure out which blend is our favorite. Oh, and just for Book TV listeners, use code BOOKTV at NovelNutrition.co for a special 20% discount. Now let's return to our story. Prologue 3. Leo Day 1 of the Apocalypse, Burlington Precinct, 2.47 p.m. Leo stared at his boots. They looked the same way they always did. Black, shiny, polished. A little bit worn around the edges, but that only made them more comfortable. Otherwise, they were the same as when he put them on in the morning. Only today, they stood in a puddle of blood. Fresh, thick, arterial blood. The crimson fluid clung to the soles and encrusted the leather. He knew he'd leave footprints on the sidewalk when he left. Leo's gaze shifted upward, and he frowned at the speckles of blood on his pants and shirt. The droplets permeated the material in a pattern that could have been pretty if it wasn't so dreadful. It would stain if he left it too long. He took pride in his uniform. It represented who and what he was, an officer of the law. Now it was ruined, both the uniform and the boots. He'd never get all the blood out, and he didn't know if he wanted to. Not when it belonged to his partner, Officer Randall Sykes. A knot rose in his throat, and he swallowed hard. Randall was dead, torn to shreds by a mob of cannibals. Only, he didn't stay dead. Not like he was supposed to. Instead, he rose and attacked an innocent bystander. A boy scarcely old enough to drive. The boy didn't survive the attack, and he didn't stay dead either. None of the dead did. It was crazy. Leo frowned as he tried to make sense of the situation. It took six shots to put Randall down. The last one went through the brain. It took three more bullets to dispatch the boy, countless more for the mob. All went down with a final shot to the head. Zombies? Leo shook his head in automatic denial but it sure looked like zombies. That raised a million questions. Where did they come from? How many were there? What was he supposed to do about it? None of his training covered a zombie apocalypse. Kill everything and everyone that looked even vaguely infected. No, he couldn't. They were still people at the end of the day, weren't they? A shrill scream caused him to jump, and he whirled in that direction. He spotted a woman running toward him, her expression one of extreme panic. A crowd of people chased her down, howling like banshees. More cannibals, or zombies, I have to help her. Leo sprang into action. He vaulted over the bodies strewn across the sidewalk, including that of his former partner Randall, and headed toward the back of the squad car. With swift movements, he opened up the trunk and grabbed his shotgun. After checking the load and safety, he sprinted toward the fleeing woman. He needed to get closer before taking a shot. The shotgun was only effective at a short range, and he couldn't risk hitting the woman. As Leo ran toward her, he saw how close the cannibals were to taking her down. 
They were right behind her, and he prayed he'd make it in time. Run faster. He pushed his legs as fast as possible, covering the ground with long strides. Hope rose within his chest as the distance between him and the woman shrunk. Preparing to fight, he counted the bobbing figures on her heels. Five. He had enough ammo to take them all. Though most shotguns were limited to three shots, his was equipped with an extended magazine, a fact that gladdened Leo's heart. Human or not, the infected were dangerous, and he wasn't about to let them claim another victim. Come on, you undead fuckers. It's time for some payback. The woman, certain that help was at hand, reached for him with one despairing hand. Please, help me. Keep running, don't stop, he yelled, waving her on. As she neared, Leo slowed and prepared to fire. Before he could pull the trigger, the woman tripped on the uneven concrete. Horrified, he watched the scene unfold as if in slow motion. The woman crashed to the ground in a headlong fall. Her head hit the pavement with an audible crack, and her cries stopped abruptly. Leo rushed forward to help, but it was too late. The mob was on her like a pack of hyenas. They ripped into her prone figure with savage glee, and her screams tore through the air, raw and agonized. Her suffering cut into his heart like a red-hot blade. The knowledge that he'd failed for the second time that day made it worse. First Randall, now her. Rage suffused his mind, and he blew the head off the nearest zombie. The sight of its brain splattered across the tar gave him a sense of satisfaction, but it wasn't enough. It would never be enough. With a gurgling cry, the woman breathed her last. She no longer looked human, her flesh rendered into a shapeless mass of flesh and bone. Leo raised his weapon for another shot, bent on getting revenge, but more howls alerted him to the arrival of another group of cannibals. Gritting his teeth, he considered his options. He could stay, kill a few more zombies, and maybe die, or hoof it back to the station. It was an easy choice. Twice already, he'd failed, but he could still help his friends and colleagues. Station it is. Turning away from the dead woman and her attackers, he sprinted toward the squad car. Within seconds, he reached the vehicle and paused next to the open trunk to grab more ammo. Jumping behind the wheel, he jammed his foot on the gas and raced back to his home ground. Along the way, he called on the radio. Dispatch, this is 475. We have a serious situation on hand. When there was no reply, he repeated the call. Silence. <laughs> at that moment, he knew something had happened at the station. Something terrible. His stomach sank into his boots, and he sped up the car. With the sirens wailing, he navigated the chaotic streets. Within a matter of hours, everything had changed. A rash of incidents had snowballed into utter chaos. Anarchy ruled the place, and he wondered if it would ever be the same again. Sirens wailed, cars honked, windows shattered, people screamed, and zombies howled while the city drowned in blood. His mind flew to his family in San Diego, and he reached for his phone. All he got was the busy tone, and he tossed aside the cell with a muttered curse. As hard as it was to accept, he could do nothing for them. They were on their own. But I can look out for my friends and colleagues. They're my family, too. Clutching the wheel with both hands, he swerved around a couple of stationary cars blocking the road. People ran in all directions, fleeing from the bands of roving zombies.
Some took advantage of the situation, looting shops for valuables. Others loaded their belongings into their cars, hoping to escape, while a few hunkered down in their homes, praying for a miracle. It went against the grain not to act. Several times he longed to stop and jump into the fray. He hated the looters and opportunists with a fiery passion. To him, they were nothing more than parasites, and he itched to arrest the lot of them. Still, there was a bigger picture at play, and he needed to focus on his objective. A burning building loomed to the right, and he slowed as he drove past. Scorching debris rained down from the upper stories, and glass shattered as the windows exploded from the heat. Suddenly, a shadow hurtled down from above. It hit the tar next to his window with a terrific thud. Blood and other bodily fluids splattered across the side of the car, drenching it in gore. A second body fell from the sky, followed by a third and a fourth. Each hit the road with the force of a freight train, exploding upon impact. One of the figures stirred, lifting a broken arm toward the sky. Its mouth opened and closed in a face that looked like it had gone through a meat grinder. What the? Are those jumpers? Leo craned his head for a better look and was rewarded with the sight of another figure falling from a broken window. Human or zombie, he didn't know. Sickened, he looked away, but there was no escaping the evidence that covered one half of his car. A crimson sheet of what should have been hidden inside a person splashed all over the outside. He shook his head, unable to take his eyes off the dense matter that coated the driver's side window. Globs of stuff clung to the glass while the sticky blood ran down in thick rivulets. Vomit bubbled up his throat and he groped around the car for a bag, paper, plastic. It didn't matter. The moment he had the bag, the contents of his stomach erupted from his lips. The sour taste of bile and stomach acid filled his mouth and his vision blurred. For several minutes, he continued to heave until there was nothing left, nothing but air and misery. He collapsed into his seat with a groan, only to jump when a hand smashed into the window. It smeared the blood and guts across the glass in a macabre pattern of death, followed by a snarling face. The zombie gnashed at the barrier between them, a single eye pinning Leo to his seat. The other hung down its cheeks, dangling on the optic nerve. Disgust filled Leo's veins, followed by a surge of adrenaline. After everything he'd seen, the half-smushed, undead zombie was the worst. Screw this shit. I'm out of here. With a squeal of burning rubber, Leo raced down the street. He swerved around one of the fallen bodies but hit another with a sickening thump. His stomach dropped as the wheels crunched over the remains. Bump, bump. Afterward, he took a deep breath and focused on the road ahead. He ignored the gunk on his window and the suspicious rattling noise from the engine. He even ignored the looters, runners, and zombies that filled the streets around him. The only thing he didn't ignore was the traffic. That was impossible. The streets soon became impassable with half the city on the run, either from work or home. Not even the wail of his sirens helped, and he finally switched them off. Luckily for me, I know a shortcut, Leo muttered as he reversed out of a jammed one way. He took a sharp left turn and drove through an alley that opened onto an empty lot. An abandoned warehouse stood at the far end, and he raced into the dilapidated building. It was dark inside, 
The dirt-covered windows allowed little light into the cavernous interior, and his wheels spun on the smooth concrete. Shifting to a lower gear, he switched on the headlights and drove toward the exit. He was on high alert and kept the shotgun close at hand the entire time. The place was a dive and a haven for sketchy characters and shady dealings. Plastic sheeting hung from a set of scaffolding, flapping in the stiff breeze that whistled through the space. Rats scurried across the beams overhead, and pigeons nested in the rafters. It mirrored what he imagined the apocalypse to be like. Desolate cities devoid of life, except for scavengers. With a sense of immense relief, he drove through the broken doors and into a second open lot. It bordered an empty field, and he braced himself for what was to come. This is the tricky part. The squad car bounced and jolted across the uneven ground. It wasn't made for off-road driving, and the shocks barely managed. However, it was only for a short distance, and he pushed onward. After a rough few minutes, he reached the edge of the field and emerged onto a road. With the station only a couple of blocks away, the way ahead was open. As he neared the building, Leo slowed. A tangled mess of cars clogged the parking lot, more than he'd ever seen gathered there before. Figures milled about between the vehicles, and his hopes rose. Maybe I got here in time? He guessed they were civilians looking for help, and who could blame them? That's what the police were for. Safety and security. But his hopes were dashed when he noticed how they moved, stiff and unnatural. Zombies. Still, that didn't mean the station had fallen, and he reached for the radio. Dispatch, come in. Silence. Dispatch, are you there? Nothing. Dispatch, please, Leo begged. Silence. Refusing to give up, Leo inched closer to the scene. His keen gaze soon picked up the glitter of broken glass, the blood smears on the vehicles, and the bodies on the ground. He also spotted the wreck sticking out of the station's glass front, its horn blaring. Figures thronged the space, and he realized the building was overrun. With a growl of frustration, he smashed both hands on the steering wheel repeatedly. I'm too late, damn it. Fucking zombies. The faces of fellow officers and staff flashed through his brain. His shift sergeant, Frank Hearn, fate unknown, fellow patrol officer Randall Sykes, deceased, secretaries Donna and Kate, dead most likely, rookie Sarah Campbell, probably dead too, Hines, Beckett, Smith, and Nelson. What happened to them? Were they all dead, turned zombie? So many faces. So many gone. Rage overtook Leo's senses, and he grabbed the shotgun on the passenger seat. Whatever happened next, he'd make sure he took a few infected down with him. What was the point of living when he had nobody anyway? As he jumped out of the patrol car, a distant sound reached his ears and he paused. What was that? Gunshots? Screams? Cocking his head, Leo listened harder. Sure enough. There it was again. Someone inside the station was still alive. They were in trouble, and it was up to him to help them. Gripping the shotgun with both hands, he ran toward the building. Getting there was easy. Most of the infected were so focused on what was going on inside the station that they forgot about the outside. Once he reached the doors, he blasted off a few shots to clear the way. The shotgun shells did fearsome damage, cutting through the crowd like a hot knife through butter. Corpses thudded to the ground, their howls and snarls silenced forever. 
The copper tang of blood mingled with the stench of awful and decay, and he was thankful that he had a strong stomach. Leo leaped over the shattered windowsill and into the station. His boots slid across the slippery floor, and he almost lost his balance. Windmilling about, he regained his balance and pressed onward. A dead hand grabbed his arm, and he smashed the butt of the shotgun into the owner's jaw. The bone cracked, and broken teeth flew in all directions. A spray of blackened blood splattered across his face, and he wiped it away with a grimace of distaste. Clawed fingers tugged at his sleeve, and he found himself surrounded by the undead. Blasting off a shot, he ducked through the opening and sprinted across the room. His boots smashed into a snarling face as he vaulted across a crawling corpse, and he almost stepped on another. Whirling around, he searched for the source of the screams he'd heard earlier. Anything that indicated a real human being with a beating heart and working brain. Not a monster whose only purpose was to feed on the flesh of others. But all he saw was death. Death in the shape of former friends and colleagues. His heart dropped and his shoulders sagged. The shotgun became almost too heavy to bear, and he longed to give in to the desperation and hopelessness that threatened to drain away his will to live. Then he heard it. Frank, hold on, I'm out of ammo. T take my gun. I'm, I'm coming, Sarah. Leo rushed in the direction the voices came from, his heart lightened by the promise of life. He closed the distance within seconds, but stumbled to a halt when he spotted the undead behemoth that had hold of Sarah. Its hand was wrapped around her neck, and her bulging eyes and purple color told him she had little time left to live. The zombie giant was no match for a shotgun shell to the head, though, and the blast blew its skull to smithereens. The corpse collapsed to the ground with a dull thud, freeing the flailing Sarah from its deadly grip. Frank broke free from the zombie duo that wanted to eat him alive, and he shoved both into the crowd with a massive heave. They crashed into the rest, and several went down in a tangle of heads, arms, legs, and snarling teeth. Are you okay? Leo asked, sweeping his gaze across the older man's form. I'm fine, Frank said, wiping a smear of clotted blood from his cheek. Frank, Sarah said her voice tentative. She had one hand pressed to her head and the other to her chest. I'm here. Don't worry, Frank replied, rushing toward her. I can't, I can't, Sarah said, swaying like a reed in the wind. Don't worry, I've got her, Leo said, reaching out to steady her. You clear the way, my car's waiting through there. Got it, Frank replied. Take the shotgun. Leo added. It's got a couple of shells left in the magazine. Thanks, Frank said, taking the weapon. Now let's get out of here. Right behind you. Leo grabbed Sarah just as she was about to fall and swung her up into his arms. She tensed, and he spoke to her in a soothing voice. Don't worry, I've got you now. You're safe with me. Sarah relaxed into his arms with a small sigh, and he knew she'd be okay but only if he got her out of the station in one piece. With that purpose in mind, Leo ran after Frank as they made their escape. When the shotgun shells ran out, Frank used the butt of the gun to smash his way through the mob of undead, a crude but effective tactic. They made it to the exit without mishap, 
and burst into the open air and sunshine with glad cries. Sprinting toward the squad car, Leo cradled Sarah to his chest. As far as he knew, they were the only survivors of the Burlington Police Department, making each one of them precious. He bundled Sarah into the back of his vehicle, taking a moment to wrap her in his jacket. With her tucked away safe and sound, he jumped behind the wheel. Frank jumped in next to him, and they both stared at the station for a few seconds. Is there anyone left? Leo asked. I don't know, Frank said. I couldn't save them. You saved Sarah. She saved me, Frank said. Where to now? I don't know. Somewhere safe, Frank said. Okay. Leo shifted the car into gear and pulled away. Nowhere was safe anymore, but he was sure they'd figure it out. For now, they just needed to get away from the sight before them. As they drove away, he cast a final glance across his shoulder. One look was all it took to tell him what he needed to know. The station was gone, and it would never be home again. Prologue Ford Donna Day One of the Apocalypse Burlington Precinct 2.25 p.m. Donna focused on the monitor's screen, scanning the letters she'd written in search of typos. When she spotted none, she nodded and continued with her work. The report was urgent, and she had to finish it before home time. When her phone rang, she ignored it at first. Then it rang again and again. A glance at the screen confirmed her suspicions, and she switched the phone to silent. Aren't you going to get that? Kate asked with a frown. Not if I can help it, Donna said. What if it's urgent? It's not, Donna said. Oh, right, Kate said, her eyes going wide. Is it Wayne again? You know it, Donna said with a fake smile. Asshole, Kate said, her gaze sympathetic. You should get a restraining order against him. It's not that bad yet, Donna said. Maybe, but I'm telling you. Kate's phone rang, interrupting her. Hello? Yes, this is she. How can I help? Relieved that the spotlight was off her, Donna tried to work. It was impossible to concentrate with the high-pitched yelling from Kate's phone, though, and she soon stopped trying. It was clear something was happening, and curiosity stirred within her chest. I wonder what's wrong. What? Are you sure? Kate asked. More yelling. I can't believe that. There must be some mistake. My son would never- Kate exclaimed. Still more yelling. I'm on my way, Kate said, grabbing her handbag from her desk drawer, the same cherry red bag Donna had envied for over a year. She tossed her phone into the bag and looked at Donna. Miles is in trouble. I have to go. What sort of trouble? Donna asked. The bad kind. The principal said he bit someone, Kate said, shaking her head. He said a lot of the kids are going nuts, fighting, biting. That doesn't sound right, Donna replied. No, it doesn't. My miles couldn't hurt a fly, Kate said, standing up. Will you cover for me? Of course. Donna's drawer buzzed, and she rechecked her phone. Thirteen missed calls. That was unlike Wayne. Though he loved to make her life miserable, even he'd give up after a couple of tries. Maybe something is wrong, really wrong. You should get that, Kate suggested. Fine, 
Donna grumbled. However, a shrill scream rang through the office before she could move. Muffled gunshots followed, and she jumped to her feet. What's going on? Kate cried, clutching her bag to her chest. I don't know, a gunman maybe? Someone with a grudge? Donna said. I'm getting out of here, Kate cried. Wait, Donna yelled, rushing after her. It's not safe. Kate ignored her and yanked open the door. After the quiet of the office, the chaotic noise assaulted Donna's senses. The hallway was crowded with fellow police officers headed toward the front desk and reception. More screams rang through the building, punctuated by gunfire and the sound of breaking glass. A crash shook the building, and a car horn blared. The foundation shook, and with them, everything Donna thought she knew. Grabbing Kate's arm, she huddled next to the woman inside their office doorway. A familiar face ran past, and she recognized the man as Sergeant Hearn. He spotted them and slowed. Kate, Donna, get inside and lock that door. Yes, Sergeant Hearn, Kate replied. She retreated into the office and shut the door. Turning the key in the lock, she stared at Donna. What now? Now we call the emergency services, Donna said, running back to her desk. She grabbed her phone and dialed the number. When she got the busy tone, her jaw hit the floor. That's impossible. What? The line's busy. Let me try, Kate said, rummaging in her bag for her phone. She rang the number but frowned. Same here, it's busy. That's not supposed to happen, ever, Donna said. I know, try someone else, Kate suggested. I'm phoning my husband. I'm sure he can alert someone that we're in trouble. Give it a try, Donna said. Hold on, Kate said, trying her hubby. Donna paced up and down, filled with nervous energy. Outside, the sounds of chaos rose to an ear-splitting crescendo. Screams, cries, gunshots, and calls for help all overlaid by the car horn that kept blaring. When Kate dropped her phone, she stopped. And? And nothing, he's not answering, Kate said, her expression worried. Let me try, Donna said, looking at her phone screen. Wayne, 15 missed calls. Here goes. Wayne picked up on the second ring. Why the hell won't you answer your phone? I've been trying to get hold of you all afternoon. I'm sorry, it's been hectic, Donna began. Hectic? You have no freaking idea. Things are going to hell in a handbasket out here, Wayne yelled. What do you mean? Do you live under a rock? Hey, Donna protested. There's no need to get nasty. Yeah, well, get your head out of your ass, Donna. The whole city is going crazy. People are running around looting, killing, stealing, and acting nuts, Wayne said. Hell, the house next door is on fire and the fire department's nowhere to be seen. Wayne, please, calm down, Donna said. I need you to listen. There's trouble here at the precinct. Who cares about the precinct? You're a bunch of cops. You can handle whatever comes your way. Wayne, please, this is different. Somebody's inside the building shooting and stuff, Donna said, growing desperate. So? Call emergency services, Wayne said. I tried, but the line's busy. Try again. I can't help you, Wayne said. The only reason I called is to tell you that I'm getting out of town, and I'm taking Sassy with me. You're taking my cat, Donna said with a gasp. Our cat, Wayne said, 
his tone defensive. We got her together, remember? Yes, but we agreed I could keep her after the divorce, Donna said. No, you agreed, I never did. I'm taking Sassy and I'm leaving, Wayne said. No, wait, I need your help. Can't you understand that, Donna pleaded. I'm trapped in my office and there's something awful happening outside my door. Sorry, Donna. You gave up the right to my help the minute you filed for divorce, Wayne said. You're on your own. Wayne, I swear. Bye, Donna. Good luck, Wayne said, hanging up. Donna stared at the phone with disbelief. He hung up on me. What a prick, Kate said. And he's taking sassy, Donna added, her disbelief turning to anger. When I get out of here, I'm... Yes, well, I'm not staying here any longer, Kate said. I have to get out of here. Kate, no, you can't go out there, Donna protested. It's too dangerous. I have to go, Kate said, walking toward the door. My son's out there, my husband too, I can't stay. Just wait until, Donna began. Wait until what? You heard Wayne. It's chaos out there, and my son needs me, Kate said. I'm leaving. Placing the key in the lock, she prepared to turn it. Do you want to come with me? I Donna listened to the war right outside their door and shook her head. No, thanks, I'll wait it out. Are you sure? This is your last chance, Kate said. You can drive with me. Donna swallowed hard, her mind whirling. Should she take her chances out there or try to ride it out inside the office? I don't know. I'm counting to three, Kate said. A fresh rash of screams decided the matter for Donna, and she shook her head. I'm staying, and so should you. I can't, sorry. Then good luck out there, Donna said. You too, Kate said, turning the key in the lock. She handed the key to Donna and placed one hand on the doorknob. Ready? I'm ready, Donna said, stepping closer. Taking a deep breath, Kate yanked open the door and ducked through the opening. Before she could take a single step, a man with crazed eyes latched onto her with both hands. He dragged her into his embrace and bared his teeth with a vicious growl. Kate, Donna cried, but it was too late. In front of her shocked gaze, the man tore into Kate's face. He ripped into the soft flesh of her cheek and took a chunk right out. Blood spurted from the grisly wound, coating both attacker and victim in a crimson fluid. Donna, help me. Kate, Donna cried, reaching out. Fingers clawed at her hand and she yanked it back with a yelp of fright. Bloodied faces filled her vision and bodies jostled hers in the narrow space. She retreated into the office when a woman snapped at her like a rabid dog. Closing the door all but a crack, she stared at Kate's struggling figure. Help me, please. Kate cried, her voice laced with agony. Hold on, I'm coming, Donna replied, though she stood frozen in place. Donna, please. People swarmed around Kate, drawn to her suffering like flies to a rotten carcass. They stripped the meat from her bones, tearing through her clothes like they were made of wet tissue paper. Kate's screams rose above the deluge of noise that threatened to drown the hallway, every rise and fall like a knife to Donna's heart. The screams became sobs, 
and the moans turned to gurgling cries until they stopped. Still, Donna watched, unable to tear her eyes away from the horrific scene. Tears streamed down her face and fear coursed through her veins like acid. It was impossible. People didn't eat other people. But when a crazed face turned her way, she knew it was real, all too real. A bloodied figure darted toward her, and she slammed the door shut. A loud thump caused her to jump, and the door rattled in its frame. With shaking hands, she turned the key and locked the office. Her mouth as dry as a desert, she waited. It wasn't enough. The crazies knew where she was, and they wanted her enough to break down the door. The first thump was followed by another until it felt like the entire world was shaking. Growls sawed through the air, punctuated by high-pitched howls. In the distance, she heard more gunshots, and hope blossomed in her chest. When they stopped, she knew she was alone. No one was coming to save her. Not right away, anyway. She'd have to survive on her own until some semblance of order was restored. Not sure of her next move, she stood frozen to the spot. Her mind scrambled from one wild scenario to another, trying to make sense of the situation. What's going on? Terrorists? A sickness? Drugs? The door continued to shake, the thin barrier under constant attack. A shower of plaster rained down as the beating fists dislodged some crumbling paint and the hinges creaked with protest. A loud crack made her jump. Oh, God! Recognizing that the door wouldn't hold, Donna jumped into action. The file cabinet went first, followed by Kate's desk, a double couch, and a stack of boxes. The thumping faded, blocked by the added layer of protection, and a measure of peace descended on the space. Stumbling back to the familiar, Donna fell into her chair. Kate's screams still rang inside her head, and her hands shook with fright. Still, she was alive, alive and well. Someone will come for me. Someone will save me. Her voice sounded alien to her ears, but she believed in the words. Someone would come. She just needed to survive long enough to be rescued. Her mind flew to Wayne and her cat, Sassy. Anger formed a solid rock in her chest. It solidified her determination to survive, and she made a vow. Wayne, you fucking coward. If I ever get out of here, I'll hunt you down like the scum you are. Sassy paced up and down the apartment, her ears twitching. Strange noises came from outside the building, screams and howls. The humans were acting weirder than usual. Twice she'd gone outside, and twice she'd been chased back inside by people acting like rabid dogs. Deciding to remain inside her domain, she settled down to await Donna's return. It wouldn't be long now. The afternoon was almost over. With fastidious care, she groomed her paws, whiskers, and fur. While the world might be upside down, she had standards to uphold. Afterward, she visited the water bowl and lapped up the clear liquid. Next, she sniffed at the food bowl, displeased to find it empty. Meow. A knock on the door alerted her to company, and she hoped it was Donna. With a happy cry, she deserted her spot on the couch and ran forward. Me, Donna would know what to do about the crazy people outside. She'd also know what to do about the empty food bowl. As humans went, Donna wasn't too bad. 
and Sassy enjoyed her attention and care. A key rattled in the lock and the door swung open. To Sassy's disappointment, it was not Donna, but Wayne. His heavy tread filled the apartment as he marched inside. Here, Sassy. Here, Kitty. 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 Sassy watched him from a distance, her whiskers twitching with annoyance. She'd never cared for Wayne. While she tolerated most humans, she actively disliked him and wouldn't mind if she never saw him again. Come on, Sassy. It's me, Wayne, he said, placing a cat carrier on the counter. Walking around the room, he collected her blanket and favorite toy. These he placed inside the carrier before packing her food and bowls into a box. I've come to fetch you. You're staying with me from now on. Sassy didn't think that likely. Why would she leave Donna, especially to live with an idiot like Wayne? Come on, Sassy, don't be difficult. I don't have all day, Wayne said, holding out one hand. Tisk, tisk, tisk. Sassy turned her back on him, her tail ramrod straight and her spine stiff. Not a chance, human. When he made a move toward her, she danced out of reach. That quickly became a game, and they ended up running around the apartment playing cats and dogs. Only Wayne wasn't very good at it. Within minutes, he was out of breath and red in the face. Stop that, Sassy. Don't make this difficult. I'm here to save you. Sassy eyed him with distrust. She didn't believe the human and was determined to avoid him. Besides, Donna would be home soon. Taking a treat from his pocket, Wayne attempted to lure Sassy closer. She eyed the treat, catching a whiff of salmon, her favorite. Against her better judgment, she took a few steps closer. The delicious scent grew stronger, and she strained to touch her nose to the treat. Gotcha, Wayne cried, grabbing her by the scruff. Launched into the air, Sassy yowled with indignation. As he swung her toward the carrier, she came perilously close to his forearm. Like a cobra, she struck, sinking her needle-sharp teeth into his skin. She got in a couple of deep scratches for good measure, blood welling up from the injuries. Ouch, damn it, Wayne yelled, letting go of her. She landed on her feet, as cats always did, and darted behind the nearest couch to hide. Her mouth tasted foul, and she detected a whiff of decay. Something was wrong with Wayne, and she refused to let him near her again. Sassy, please, come with me. Wayne pleaded. I'll take good care of you, I promise. Fat chance, human. Eyeing the open window, Sassy dashed outside. She'd rather face the crazies than Wayne any day. No, come back, Sassy, please come back. Wayne called, running to the window. When she ignored him, he swore. Damn you, you stupid cat. I hope you get eaten by a zombie. Sassy watched him from her perch on the gutter, licking one paw. While she didn't know what a zombie was, it couldn't be worse than him. After a while, he stomped out of the apartment and slammed the door shut with a bang. Happy that he was gone, she settled down to wait for Donna again. He wouldn't last long anyway. The sickness in his veins was too strong. Soon, he'd be one of them. Farewell, human. As we close today's captivating episode on Book TV, don't forget to check out Novel Nutrition, Tailored for book lovers, our supplements are designed to complement your reading lifestyle. Use code BOOKTV for a 20% discount on your first order at novelnutrition.co. 
Enhance your reading experience with novel nutrition and don't forget that every purchase helps support an author.